Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by ACAST. How are you doing there? It's podcast time. It is David and I am joined by your man. How are you, Head? I, I'm good. I'm good. Just give me one sec. Plugging in all your bits. Plugging in me bits. Man. All right, all right <laughs> darling. Uh, yeah, I'm all good. Yeah. We're, you're thinking of Adam and Eve, are you? Uh, yes, indeed. What's your man's name? Poots? Uh, Edwin Poots. Edwin believes Poots. in creationism. Yeah. Do you know this? And you might know this as a Trinner's boy. No, no. Uh, no James no. Usher. Yeah. James Usher Go in on. the 17th century. Go on. He was the guy who came up with the whole, he dated the Bible back to, I think it was the 22nd of October, 4004 BC. That's when the world started. That's kind of specific. That's well, you specific. might find that bizarre and unusual. <laughs> But the leader of the DUP, Edwin Poots, believes that. I know. I know. What do Jeez, we say about that? Never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity? <laughs> he would actually be more at home down the southern states of... Uh, he'd be in Kentucky. Isn't that where they have a, a museum to creationism? In Kentucky? I've been to Kentucky. I've been to Louisville. I've also been to the Kentucky Derby. You were just there which, for the mint juleps. Well, what's for the mint juleps? Hunter S. Thompson. The yeah. Kentucky Derby is a weird and evil place. And he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. Yeah, no, he's all Adam and Eve, this fellow now. It's just a step backwards. More than a step backwards. Well, we'll hold that thought. I was actually, I was actually reading a book, a very good book, a legal book, called Eve Was Framed by uh, Helena Kennedy. No, it's a, it's a, it's a British textbook. The right. textbook was a legal book about the treatment of women in Britain in the law and how they're completely disadvantaged over the years. Right. Uh, going right, right back. Yeah. But the title is great. Eve was framed. It's just brilliant. It's brilliant. Have a look at it. If you're, you know, when you're idle moments, I just tell you, we are, John and I are sitting down here. We're watching a game that I know really very little about. Camogie, Dublin you. against Kilkenny. Dublin minor Camogie and John's no, daughter. No, senior Camogie. Sorry, Dublin senior Camogie. And John's daughter is on the Dublin team. She's, she's on the bench at the moment and maybe she'll get a run. But I'm very proud. She's brilliant. That's fantastic. That's, so it's Dublin Kilkenny. It's 1-6 to 4. But, I, you know, there's only, a, what, yeah. eight points in it? Yeah. Not well, the end of the world. Well, no, they still have, have a chance to come back. But do you know what? I'll tell you something else in a related story, which is really big news, actually. Actually, sorry, seven points. <laughs> yeah. 
You're always good at them sums. <laughs> but in related news, this week or last week, for the first time, female GAA is going to be funded in the same way as male GAA because there was always a massive disparity. And there we were talking about the British legal system and the disparity for women and men, and here we are yeah. again. And But for the first time, there's going oh, to that's be good. equality. Equality in the GA. About bloody time, you know? Well, yeah. What, I, what I'm amazed by, and we've always talked about it, is the explosion in GAA, particularly around this part of the world. Yeah. Which was never the case before. Yeah. But we Your were, coolers and the like. Maybe we'll come back to the GAA, but let's leave the GAA. Hold yeah! on. There's another point. Okay, there we go. Dublin, it's Dublin 5, uh, Kilkenny 1-6. We still have some way to go. Four points in the difference yeah, now. Yeah. Oh, you no sure six, about that now, Mike? No, six points. Listen, I can talk to you about Leeds United. No, 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 you're all right. So, John, uh, we'll park the Bible, because I know you're a very biblical individual. I'll put my pocket Gosh, one back in. Deuteronomy, Genesis, the whole thing. The whole lot. The whole thing, Old Testament, only Old Testament. Ah, yeah. That was actually much better than the New Testament. Well, there were better stories. Better yards, better creatures, yeah. better better tribes. The Jesus thing's just been nice to everyone. That's not, not half <laughs> good enough. We would park that, but we're going to go to Israel. Yes. Right? Because of the extraordinary events of the last few days between Palestinians, the Israelis, the Israelis army, Gaza, the whole thing. Before we get going, I want to tell you about the Dorky Book Festival. We have an amazing lineup of people, one of whom is Elif Shafak, an extraordinary Turkish writer, and somebody who has actually suffered for her art. We're doing a series of interviews called The Artist as Activist. And we have Elif coming up on Turkey. We also have the great Marlon James on Black Lives Matter. Marlon James is a Jamaican writer, a gay Jamaican writer, lives in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So you'd imagine what it's like being a black man in Minneapolis this year with the whole George Floyd disaster, debacle, murder. So what we're trying to do is look at artists as activists. It's a really interesting idea. We're also going to be looking at donut economics. Kate Rayworth, you heard her here. Brilliant stuff. Plus the breakup of Britain, plus Brian Cox. I mean, we've got loads and loads of people and actually. We're going to tell you about three extraordinary guests that we're going to unveil next week. So check it out, dokeybookfestival.org, and we'll see you in the Martello Tower in the middle of June. So over the last couple of days, as you're all aware, the Middle East, particularly Israel and Palestine, has kicked off yet again, started by the Israelis with an extraordinary effort to try and evict Palestinian families in Jerusalem. The Palestinians reacted, the Israelis reacted, and suddenly... What you find is a situation that was quite calm up until last Friday, kicks off and explodes. And now you have violence between Jews and Arabs in Israeli cities. You have the Israelis bombing Gaza. You have the Hamas bombing back. You have the West Bank, even in the Golan Heights. You know, basically, it is a tinderbox and it's just been set on fire again. And one of the people who I think has probably the best handle on this is Tom Friedman, New York Times correspondent, deeply, deeply involved in the region for all his life, three times Pulitzer Prize winner, extraordinary brain, really fascinating analysis, and an all-around good lad. So let's go to Washington and talk to Tom. Tom, how are you? Great to see you. 
Oh, I tell you, great to see you, David. It's uh, It's been way too long. It has been too long. And listen, we will get out. We're out. I mean, I know you guys are out, but we'll be out soon and nothing will stop us from doing a bit of traveling. Tom, I want to talk to you about the Middle East. What is going on? What's your take? What What's your sense of what is going on? Why did it happen? Why did it happen so quickly, so ferociously? How come there have all these mini little riots going on, mini little incidents, and, and who's in control? Well, let me give you my, my take on this. Um, uh, and it starts um, with the column that I was actually drafting 10 days ago, for, right before all this started. Literally, last Monday, I mean, uh, I don't know if on the podcast that, that makes any sense. Yeah, no, uh, it does. So you know, roughly, roughly a, a week ago. And I was writing a column about something quite remarkable that was happening. So let me just step back. I have a view of the Israeli. Palestinian conflict, that it is to wider trends in civilization what off-Broadway is to Broadway. Okay. So I always follow what's going on there, because you often see trends in miniature there that then come to Broadway. So airline hijackings got perfected there, suicide bombing, uh, lone wolf terrorism, building a wall, uh, building the other into an alternative. We called it the Iraq War. They called it Oslo. You know, things start there and come to Broadway. So I was writing a column saying, hey, what's playing off-Broadway? Now, this was 10 days ago, roughly. Okay. okay. And what I was pointing out was what was happening in Israel was something remarkable. The Israel, after Netanyahu, after the fourth election, failed to put together a new government. Israel was, when I was writing last Monday, a day away from putting together for the first time in its history, a coalition government that would be a national unity government that would include Israeli settler parties, Israel's labor party, Israel's centrist party, and for the first time, an Arab Islamist party that would be in the government, okay? In the government. It would have ministers in the government. Israel has never had such a national unity government. And I was saying, wow, watch this, folks. If this happens in Israel, maybe it can come to Broadway in America, and what Liz Cheney is doing in breaking up the Republican Party maybe can build a bridge with Biden's Democrats, and we can get some kind of national unity government in America. That is the column I was working on Last Monday morning, when my phone rang at 10 o'clock, and it was my editor saying, Tom, we just got out of the editorial meeting, and we've been watching the fighting in Israel, you know, and the West Bank and Gaza starting, and we were wondering, should you do a column on that? I said, well, gosh, guys, I don't know. I'm actually working on something else right now, and I don't know if I should do something on it or not. I'm, I'm watching it. In the end, I decided to do a column saying, is this the big one? Is this the explosion, et cetera? And I put aside that other column. Well, of course, what happened? And at the end of that column, I wrote, I said, be careful that Netanyahu and Hamas could use this moment to blow up this national unity coalition that's about to form, which is a fundamental threat to both of them. For Netanyahu, if this coalition were to come together, he would end his 12 years as prime minister. 
Yeah, and maybe um, and maybe end up in prison. And maybe up in, absolutely end up in jail. And for Hamas, this wasn't just an Arab party that was about to join the Israeli government. It was an Israeli Arab Islamist party that comes from the very movement that Hamas comes from, okay? And it was a fundamental threat to both of them. And the theme of what I'm writing now, David, is that what happened in Israel last week was their January 6th moment. Just as Trump tried to unleash forces on January 6th yep. to blow up basically our election and, and any kind of healing in America, I believe BB and Hamas, consciously, unconsciously, I'm not claiming they were on the phone with each other, but believe me, these two have benefited from one another ever since Netanyahu was elected for the first time in 1996 on the back of Hamas suicide bombs. They know each other. They benefit from the, the other. Each wants, Bibi wants to keep Palestinians divided between Hamas and the West Bank leadership yep. to be able to say, I'm sorry, I've got no partner. And Hamas always wants to say, the Jews are only dedicated to destroying us. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And so basically what I'm trying to explain is that we were actually close to something historic. And both these parties, for their own selfish reasons, whether they consciously did it or unconsciously, they blew the whole thing up. It was their January 6th. And what I'm terrified of right now, David, is that that is what will come to Broadway. Donald Trump, the sequel. Wow. Okay. Okay. So Donald Trump, the sequel. Let's park Donald Trump, the sequel. And let's talk about that dynamic, that you have two pretty malignant forces, the Netanyahu force on the Israeli side, the Hamas force on the Palestinian side, both with a vested interest in keeping the pot not just simmering, but boiling. And so you push the people away from each other. It's interesting you talked about the suicide bombs. I had a very bizarre experience many years ago, Tom, of living in Ramat Gan in 1995. So when, this, when, the, when the bombs were going off in the, in the Egghead buses, and I used to get the Egghead bus to work. Okay, so yeah. that was, I remember being very aware that, and I actually came home, I, I remember I, I was working for a, a Swiss company. I just called them, I said, look, this is, you know, this is getting too heavy for me. You know, because yeah. buses were being blown up. And I do remember the whole the Hamas emerging. Can you explain to me broader geopolitics about the role of Iran, the proxy war between Iran and Israel, and what role that has in what's going on in Gaza? And then I want to talk to you about the Israeli sense of proportion, right? Like, why do the Israelis consistently, consistently go in with overwhelming, vicious, terroristic force against people in Gaza. But let's let's go back to Iran and then explain to me the yeah. Israeli psyche, if you can. Sure. So um, Iran, um, again, is part of this sort of cynical, you know, coalition we're talking about. Um, Iran has one overriding goal when it comes to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Israel must stay in the West Bank. That is Iran's number one goal. So it's a huge ally, tacitly, of the settlers. Why is that? Because Iran knows, as long as Israel's in the West Bank with settlers, yeah. settlers and settlements, that there will be a constant friction 
between Israeli Jews and Muslims that will uh, keep the pot boiling. It will allow Iran to embarrass Arab Sunni regimes who really want to disengage from this conflict. And it will keep European and American college campuses focused on Israel and its misbehavior, not Iran, which is a you know, dictatorial regime currently occupying. Actually, the biggest occupying power in the Middle East is not Israel. Israel is occupying the West Bank. Uh, I oppose that. But Iran right now is occupying through its proxies, Lebanon, Syria, Yemen, and Iraq. Okay, if we're just talking about numbers, there's no bigger occupier in the Middle East today. Iran's business model is to hire Arab Shiites, basically, to fight Arab Sunnis, to keep the, all the Arab states around them weak and divided, so they can never either pose a threat to Iran militarily or politically come together into a democracy like in Iraq that could embarrass Tehran. So that's their strategic goal. Wow. So they're they're in on the cynical game as well. And Hamas is one of their proxies. So, so are Hamas yeah. almost like busy fools for the Iranians? In my view, absolutely. You know, look, Israel got out of uh, Gaza. And for the first two years, Gaza was ruled actually by the Palestinian the authority. Fatah. Yeah. By Fatah, exactly. Israel didn't, there was no boycott then. They turned over these greenhouses. They, they, it, Israel would have been thrilled, okay, and had a huge interest that the Gazans turned Gaza into Singapore, uh, into Ireland, okay? Now, if that had happened, the implications for the West Bank would have been enormous because Israelis would have looked at that and said, well, maybe we can turn over the West Bank then, you know? Hey, they, they just produced a, a tourist, you know, haven, a, a business haven, you know, whatnot. But Hamas did not do that. And this is before the boycott, okay, of Israel. What Hamas did was oust Fatah in a coup and then launch rockets at Israel. Okay. So Hamas is an Islamo fascist organization that wants to impose on Gaza and all of Palestine a Tehran like uh, Islamic regime. Let's not lose sight of that because too many of its useful idiots have done that. Now, why does Israel react or overreact uh, the way it does? And, you know, there it's. You know, it, it's just a, a complicated blend of military impulse taking over. We're, we're just going to crush these guys. No state, not Ireland, no other would want a state next door lobbing rockets on them. And a reluctance to look inside and deal with some of the root causes of this whole problem. That's where I want, so that's where I want to go, Tom, this, this reluctance. You know, I remember years ago, I interviewed Edward Said, and he was in Colombia. He, he had, he's at advanced stages of his cancer. He was weakened, uh, incredibly uh, articulate and eloquent. And he described to me, and this is where I want to get a little bit deeper. He described to me, he said, we Palestinians, I'll tell you who we are. We are the victims of victims. And as a result of that, he said, like you in Ireland, you're dealing with the Brits. You are kind of dealing with a boss race, right? You know, a, a big, powerful, yeah. self-confident state called Britain, yes. right? And he said, those negotiations kind of go along normal lines. He said, we're dealing as the victims of a state which feels itself to be a victim as well. Is that a good sort of sense of... of, of I, I like that I like that a lot. I, I've actually never heard that formulation, David, and I like that a lot. Um, you have victims of victims here. And um, the fact is, 
Israelis, and this has been my core bedrock view, will never be at home in what they see as their ancient homeland until and unless Palestinians can take their shoes off and relax. Palestinians will never be at home until and unless Israelis can take their shoes off and relax, which is why I have always been for a two-state solution. If you're for that, you're my friend. Uh, and if you're not for that, you're not my friend. And whether you're Israeli, Palestinian, Arab, yeah. Iranian, I don't really care. That is the only solution. What I've always stood for is trying to promote that. Now, what, what makes it all complicated, you know, is that, and it just depends when you dive into this story. Let's take the Israeli-Arab story, okay? Here's, a, here's an interesting fact for your listeners. What percentage of doctors, pharmacists, nurses, would you guess in Israel are Israeli Arabs? 17% of Israel's doctors are Israeli Arabs. I believe 24% of its nurses and 47% of its pharmacists. Israeli Arabs got Israel through the pandemic. And by the way, Israelis know that, and we're expressing a lot of appreciation and awareness for that. Now, a racist country, there aren't too many racist countries, uh, racist in inverted commas, that about 20% of their doctors are from the subjugated yeah. community, okay? So let's step back here and say, whoa, wait, wait a second, folks. That's a remarkable number and shows actually huge progress. But I'll give you another statistic, okay? And that is a massive unemployment among Arab youth. And the fact that in a country where 20% of the doctors almost and half the pharmacists are Israeli Arabs, you had a prime minister running in four elections that said Arabs should never be in the government. Now you're an Israeli Arab doctor, and I quote one in my next column, and you're treating Jews and Arabs every day in the emergency wards for coronavirus. And you come home at night and you turn on the TV and there's the prime minister telling you, oh, no, you, we can't have Arabs in the government. Well, what the hell? You know, I mean, really, yeah. what? The hell? And, and that's what produces this kind of resentment. And so, again, one of the crazy stories that this story is so complicated, the peace process from the top down failed, uh, David, it completely yeah. collapsed. But there was actually a peace process going on from the bottom up of Israelis, Arabs, and Jews getting more and more integrated. You walk through Hadassah Hospital today, as I did recently. I tell you, you hear as much Arabic spoken as, as, as Hebrew. You know what I mean? You go, I, I was just reading a story, you know, again, before all this started, about uh, Israel's latest neuroscience professor. Is an Israeli Arab? Okay, a woman, you know. Yeah. I mean, there are opportunities there. There was progress there that was phenomenal. And it was the tension between the evident progress for some and the abject failure of opportunity, particularly for young Israeli Arabs to be employed, and that humiliation of-, of, of Yeah, the, the kind of ritual, the ritual humiliation all the, the time. The, the ritual humiliation of the prime minister saying, well, you can't be in the government. Wait a minute, what the fuck? My sister is a doctor in the hospital. Who's treating you. your brother or your yeah, sister. That's right, yeah. that's right. And you're saying, I'm not good enough to be in your government. Well, that's what produces these kinds of explosions. All I'm saying is that if you think one side, Israelis or Palestinians, are all in the right or all in the wrong, you, you've been there too yeah. long. You need to go home, okay? Because it's so complicated. And that's what I'm trying to simply tease out. Can I, can I ask as well, Tom, about, because this is fascinating, this sort of 
you know, texture is always very difficult to get. Yes. Analysis exactly. is very simple. It's black right, or white exactly. and it's it's rough edges and it's sharp edges right. and it's human. But texture and a certain softness in analysis, yes. you know, and, and a, a sort of a messiness because it's these things yeah. are messy. That's how reality is. Reality, yeah, life is messy. Let, let's just go to the, the West Bank. You have this, again, we're talking about this ritualistic humiliation, which is the settler issue. Now, Israel, we all know the United Nations, it's, 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 it's contravening international law, it's building settlements on other people's lands. I believe that this issue started over the requisition of a street of Palestinian homes that had been Jewish pre-1948. And the Palestinians said, well, if you're going to kick our guys out, what about all our homes that are over there pre-1948? The settlers are 600,000 in a population of 10 million. So they're not even 10%. Why are they so powerful? So let me give you two answers. One that um, an Irishman will understand. You know, sometimes those people, the most, the purest of the pure nationalists, yeah, because uh, they, they touch something unspoken in the Irish soul or the Jewish soul. In the case of Israel, the return to their historic homeland. In the case of Ireland, the protection and preservation of their homeland. It becomes very hard to stand up to them, you know, in the context of Irish politics or Israeli politics. Uh, it takes a very strong person. My view is always in the Middle East, Extremists go all the way, and moderates tend to just go away. Extremists well go all the way, and moderates tend to just go away. And so I'm a, I'm always describing myself, Leon Wieseltier coined this term, I'm a bastard for peace. I'm not a nice dove, okay? I am a bastard for peace. Do not fuck with me. I know this story better than all of you, frankly, okay? And you're not going to sell me any carpets, all right? I know what you did. I know what you did. And all I know, you know, is unless you compromise, and I'm not going to take your bullshit, not your Palestinian bullshit, and not your Zionist Jewish bullshit, okay? I know what this story is, and I know, you know, what you've got to do to make this work. So I'm not afraid to say that, okay? You're not going to put anything over on me. I didn't learn my Middle East studies at Columbia. I learned it in Beirut, actually, okay? So I, I was in Lebanon for the Civil War before I came to Israel, so... I, I, am a, I consider myself a bastard for peace. And there's Irish equivalents of that. I mean, they're, oh, yeah. they're, they're tough-minded, you know. And in you know, my view, you know, David, that to, to understand Israel, now I'm, I'm just going to talk about Israel for a second. You have to actually hold three thoughts together in your head at the same time. One thought is Israel's an amazing place. In 75 years, what these refugees, you know, uh, have built of, out of World War II, in terms of science and medicine, art and literature and academe, it's awesome, number one. Number two, Israel does bad stuff. Israel does bad stuff in the West Bank. It does bad stuff to Palestinians in suppressing them and depriving them of their rights and opportunities. Israel does bad stuff. And third, Israel lives in a crazy neighborhood. Okay, now I have no problem holding those three thoughts together in my head at the same time. Unfortunately, for most people, it's Israel is amazing. It's amazing. it's amazing. Israel does bad stuff. Israel does bad, bad, bad. Israel is in a crazy neighborhood. Leave them alone. Whatever they do with Hamas is justified. No, you actually have to hold all three thoughts together in your, in your head at the same time. And the same is true of Palestinians. Okay. They have been deeply victimized. They've been screwed by history. Okay. Uh, victims of victims. At the same time, they do bad stuff. Okay. At the same time, they live 
in a very bad neighborhood with Arab regimes who have been trying to screw them for God knows how long for a century. And so I, in my own head, I have no problem keeping all those things in balance and trying to tease out where the through line is, where the opportunity is, you know, to get a solution. But a lot of people um, in this day and age just want to take one of those positions and just drive it home. And that's not what I'm about. But let's go to the near future, because we can focus on the long past, the short past. Right, exactly. And, and as we in Ireland know that, you know, sometimes the longer you spend looking at the past, the less time you spend looking at the future, okay? And planning for the future. <laughs> exactly. You know? and, and, and there's lots yeah. of, there are a lot of people who want to look at the past. When I see what the Israelis do, and the, and it is, in my opinion, if you, if you are lobbying, irrespective of whether or not you're, you've, you think your target is legitimate, when you terrorize people, when you humiliate them, when you take their land, when you, when you subjugate them to such a casual, and it's sometimes casual. I remember being in Jerusalem, getting in, and I, and I, I getting the bus to Bethlehem. This was a long, long time ago, and Jerusalem is fantastic. It's fascinating. And I was living in Tel Aviv, Ramat Gan, and again, I saw that side of Israel. But you get on the bus at, I think it's at Damascus Gate. Maybe it's not, and and you go out towards Bethlehem, and you get on an Arab bus. So you get off the. Slightly nice, air-conditioned, egged Israeli buses, and you get on a kind of jalopy. <laughs> and after, about two miles out beyond the green line, the Israeli soldiers get on, and they're kids. They're 17, 18, 19, well, maybe they're 20. And typically on these buses, and you've seen them, Tom, but maybe some of the listeners haven't, you're kind of sitting there wedged between Palestinian grannies and Palestinian kids, and, uh, and everybody's smiling, everyone's friendly. And the soldiers get on, and they behave really badly. And they look at me and they clock me and they say, he's a Westerner, so we'll be kind of be nice to him. He's, look at that guy, red hair. You know, he's not one of these people, right? And they behave in a way in which can only stoke resentment, number one, but also profoundly increase that sense of humiliation and this lack of power. And as you and I know, it's all about power. The person who has the power can exercise it benignly or malignantly. And it strikes me that those day-to-day realities that I saw at the checkpoints, and, and, and remember, I was treated like a god because I had a, you know, a European passport, et cetera. And I thought to myself, this is where it starts. If you don't fix this, if you don't fix that occupation, if you don't fix that policing of a population, you don't fix anything. So uh, you've been reading me, so you know, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, David, is There There Will Be Blood. It's um, uh, I don't know it. I don't know it. Who's uh, it's, it's, it's about an oil man and uh, who, who uh, a guy who rises from rags to riches by developing oil wells in, in, out west in America. And one of the things he does is he gets very good at stealing his neighbor's oil. Okay. Okay. Um, through directional drilling. And there's just a great line where he's basically saying to actually his priest who owned uh, land next to him and he stole his oil. He says, I drink your milkshake. I drink your milkshake. I stuck a straw in and I drink your milkshake and I drink it all the way to the bottom. And one of my rules in life, David, is never drink the other guy's milkshake all the way to the bottom. And so never be a pig, okay? 
And I have to say, as a Jew, it deeply hurts me that behavior I see by Israel in the West Bank is piggish because there's no stopping, no one to stop them. They're drinking the other guy's milkshake all the way to the bottom. And when you do that um, and you overlay it with humiliation, you get this reaction. Now, if that was just the end of the story, well, we could understand it. But again, if we are fair to history, Ehud Barak offered Yasser Arafat 92% of the West Bank as part of a peace deal. Ehud Omer offered Abbas 92% of the West Bank and even a presence in Jerusalem. Now you can say, well, uh, the 92, that's great, but it should have been 100. I, I, I'm ready to, to hear that, you know, because it's 92% of what was half, okay? But nevertheless, but what was the right reaction? The right reaction of Arafat should have been, thank you, Ehud Barak. A 90 is better than 60, where you were before, or 40, or, or wherever. But I'm going to now work with you and Israeli Jews to get you from 90 to 100. What did Arafat do instead? He launched the Intifada in 2000. Okay. What, what was Abbas's reaction to Olmert's peace plan? It was to do nothing. So, again, the stories mark what Israel is doing in the West Bank on a day-to-day -day basis only produces humiliation, and humiliation and dignity are the two most powerful human emotions. David, if you if you take my money away, if you fire me, I'll, I'll get mad at you. You humiliate me, and I will fantasize here on my screen that I've got a bazooka on my shoulder, and I'm blowing you away, okay? So, and the quest for dignity, these are the two most powerful human emotions, and they're flip sides of the same coin, and I don't need to tell an Irishman on what it was like to be humiliated by a British soldier or a British diplomat uh, you know, at a checkpoint. You know in your bones what we're talking about. And I know in my bones. And so again, if the story were just one way, it was just about humiliation, Israelis waking up every day, but that actually isn't the story. You know, There were peace plans offered. By the way, even Jared Kushner's peace plan. Jared Kushner's peace plan, Israel gets 30% of the West Bank, Palestinians get 70%, just a tiny presence in Jerusalem. But nevertheless, had Palestinians said to Donald Trump, you know what, not enough. But our answer to you, Mr. President, is yes, but you know, you know President Trump, you're an amazing diplomat. You, 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 you are the Henry Kissinger of today's America. Donald Trump would have been down Bibi's throat in one second, okay? Bibi Netanyahu would have been the most isolated man in the Middle East. Okay, and would have Palestinians have gotten everything they wanted? No, but I guarantee you, if had Abbas said yes to the Trump plan, yes, but yeah. good start, not enough. The EU, the world would have lined up behind him. And what did Bibi count on? Because Bibi said no. Okay, Bibi didn't. Bibi didn't respond. Wouldn't respond to it. yeah. But Abbas just played Bibi's game. Okay, so. You've also got to be smart here. So is there humiliation? Yeah, every day, okay? And is there stupidity? Yeah, every every day. Is there lack of courage? Yeah, every day, you know, on both sides, you know? And so that's why I say, you know, extremists go all the way and moderates, they just go away, you know, uh, in that part of the world. So if you're just taking a snapshot of a checkpoint and a bus trip, that's going to give you one scene, but you got to get the full picture. And um, nothing is is exactly the way you think it is, you know, is nothing's black and white here. And it's not because I can't make up my mind. It's because I have made up my mind. It's because I do know what's going on. It's a complex picture. 
And anyone who tries to reduce it to just black and white, I, I think is going to miss the story and the story will surprise them. By the way, a lot of Israelis just reduced it to black and white. Palestinian terrorists. Wait a minute. Are they all terrorists? Did they just wake up one day and decide to do this? You know, when you're when you're telling people, I have the right to take your home away because Jews owned it before 1948, but you don't have the right to take my home away that your family owned in West Jerusalem before 48. That's fucked up. I'm sorry. I mean, any of us, Irishman, American, Jew, Arab would say, that's fucked up. Okay. And it requires a government to step in and restrain itself and say, you know what? We, we, we can't a milkshake all the way to the bottom. It's not fair and it's not in our interests. But this is a region where drinking the other guy's milkshake all the way to the bottom, it's like, you know, um, it's the daily fare. Tom, we will leave it there. Extraordinary stuff. Tom, thank you so much. That was really a tour de force and uh, lots and lots of uh, lots and lots of things to think about. Thanks David, a million. Always great to be with you. You bet. Always great to be with you, pal. Cheers, Tom. I'll see you soon. Best to everybody. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Mark, you know the way after many of our interviews, I always say, God, that was very interesting and blah, 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 <laughs> yes, blah. You do. But really and truly. That was actually very that interesting. That was fantastic. That was really interesting. And and the, the whole his last point there about their lack of courage. Yeah. And what was his phrase when uh, extremists go all the way and moderates go away? Just go away, yeah. yeah. I just thought it was really interesting. Well, that's that's the story of the Middle East. That's the story of all conflicts, is that sometimes the extremists just take over. Yeah. And they set the agenda, they change, they bully the middle ground. Yeah. And the middle, middle ground kind of acquiesces to the whole thing on the basis that, well, look, isn't it? I mean, we started this whole thing with the DUP sort of thing. Yeah. So there, that's a great example. So yeah. the extremists have taken over that party. Let's see where it leads them. But, you know, it's the same basic idea. When you come back to the Israeli-Palestinian issue, 
And and again, you know, as I was saying to Tom, you know, I've seen it firsthand, mm. the way the Israelis mm. behave, the Israeli soldiers. Yeah. I've also seen almost all my Israeli friends wanting peace, almost all, right? Yeah. You know, you, you choose your mates, right? Well, well he, he was speaking about that, the possibility on the cusp of a national unity government. With, with, which was going to have religious Jews yeah. and Islamicists yeah. and centrists and left-wingers in the coalition. That was a possibility up until last week. And of course, Bibi doesn't want that. Yeah. And Hamas don't want that. Yeah. They're, kind so they, of, yeah. they're kind of the same creature. You yeah, know, the, two sides of the same coin. It's creatures of the extreme. And it's also, these are the type of people, particularly Netanyahu, who... And the reason I say particularly, because Netanyahu is a democratically elected leader of a democratic country. Mm. And it's unusual for that type of person to remain in power for so long, given that they're a one-trick pony with respect to what they're all about, which is you create anxiety, you create fear, you create the sense of, you know, this idea of you other. Yeah, the yeah, other, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and, it's, and the interesting thing about, about it is that's what Netanyahu's done. And of course, Hamas, like, when I was there, it was the beginning of those suicide bombs in the in the buses. And it was it was really terrifying because there was this sense that anything could happen. It was kind of random. It was it? unbelievable. Like it was yeah. completely random. And where I live is a place called Ramatgan, and that is about what, four kilometers maybe from Tel Aviv center. Right. Yeah, like yeah. it's like a suburb, right? Yeah. And the buses, Eged is the Israeli buses, and they're like there's kind of, there was kind of a banter on the bus. You get on the bus in the morning, be chatting, chatting, chatting. And then, you know, within two or three weeks, it all turned really nasty mm. and, 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 and really quite dangerous. But I mean, then on the other hand, you think you're sitting in Gaza and the Israelis are dropping tons and tons and tons of bombs on you. Uh, uh, and which the, the thing about Gaza is you've nowhere to go. You've nowhere to go. You've nowhere to run yeah, to. you've nowhere to go. So... I mean, what Tom is saying at the end is it demands extraordinary courage for political leaders to actually stand up against the extremists. Yeah. But you need a strong centre. And it doesn't look as if there's a strong centre there yet. But there will be eventually. There will be because it's not an alternative. It's not a viable strategy for yeah. Israel or Palestine to remain at this. It's not a viable strategy at all. Mm. And so my sense, and I mean, I know I'm always optimistic, but my sense is that a deal can still be done between these people. And there is some middle ground. And it's still, the majority of people are always in the middle, but we're just silent, John. Mm. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, to use that Nixonian expression, the silent majority. But the silent majority in this case, in Nixon's case, it was kind of slightly racist, right-wing mm, people. Mm, yeah, but in yeah. this case, it's the people in the middle who want peace. And I think they're still there. They just need a leader on both sides. And they'll get one eventually. Sometimes I wish I could Run away, run away, run away with you I know it's not that simple To run away, run away, to run away from all of the I know deep in my bones that I need 
Talk how. 